0: This is The Culture Code with Kevin Cruz, founder and CEO of Leadex, the platform that helps you scale and sustain a high performance culture.
1: Hello everyone, I'm Kevin Cruz. Welcome back to another issue and episode of The Culture Code. Our guest today, I'm very excited because I'm actually a customer of his company. He doesn't even know that until right now. The COO and Chief People Officer at Headspace, Karan Singh. Karan, welcome. Where are you coming from today? Thanks so much for having me. I am uh, dialed in from the Bay Area. I'm all the way out in Philadelphia, but been spending more and more time in the Bay Area and uh, really had fun in San Jose the last trip out. So you're a lucky man to be living where you're living.
2: Certainly feel that way.
1: So let's start at the beginning. Obviously, a lot of people out there know of Headspace. Hopefully anyone that's in the health, wellness, mental fitness, even game or field. But there might be people who aren't familiar with your organization. So what do you guys do?
2: Certainly. We are a comprehensive mental health care platform. Everything from mindfulness and meditation resources that many of you would love to hear that you're a member here, know the orange dot on your phone for access to support, but all the way now to clinical support, coaching, therapy, psychiatry, even serving as your company's employee assistance program, your EAP. That's great. About how many employees worldwide? We have about a thousand people across the country, everything from licensed coaches and clinicians to Emmy award-winning producers and data scientists. So quite a collection. I love it. And Karan, before we
1: talk about culture, point of the interview, I think it's important also just to clarify, like people are so curious in this moment of time Headspace, where have you guys landed on the whole work remote, work hybrid that issue? Where are you guys at with that right now?
2: The strategy has been evolving as we continue yeah. to learn. But I'd say a headline is still remote first, but recognize the importance of, I like to call them in-person booster shots—the opportunity to get together on some sort of regular cadence to really build sort of psychological safety and trust, which can get degraded if you're fully virtual at all times. And so I think. The virtual first has been incredibly valuable just as a recruiting strategy and to find the best talent. But I think it's both and you also need some opportunities for together.
1: Yeah, I appreciate you sharing that. It's certainly obviously not an easy issue. If there was one right answer, we'd all be doing it already. And so we're all exploring and each organization is different. And you really contributed, I think, to the conversation. I hadn't heard that term and I love it in person booster shot. You know, even if you're remote first, the value of coming together intentionally so. Culture is kind of a squishy thing. Every company, it's unique. You're a very successful company. Clearly, that means you have a successful culture. How would you describe it to someone like me?
2: Well, we define culture as really and say who we aspire to be as an organization. And I think our culture is a couple keywords. One is inclusive, I want to be representative of who we serve. Two is impact driven. Really ultimately want to be delivering real member value. And the third is curious. Start with the beginner's mind, fundamental practice, part of mindfulness practice.
1: That doesn't happen by accident, right? They don't just all magically show up that way. So what are you doing to foster this culture?
2: It certainly doesn't happen magically. You need to create it. And it's really special when it does, though, happen organically. I think we're really proud of the culture we built at at Headspace. And I think a large part, it's because we know that mental health and culture are just inextricably linked. And so our mission, our vision is in fact supporting the mental health and well-being of, of employees. And we take a lot of those lessons and we apply that to, to really create a our own healthy and healthy and happy workforce. There's a few maybe traditions or rituals that we use to to really reinforce that. Everything is as simple as daily company wide meditations. Really every all hands starts with a guided meditation by one of our teachers, which is just a great opportunity to pause, set an intention, going into a meeting. We have twice a month mental health days, what we call mind days, really space boundaries to make sure that, they're, again, there's space to recharge. And then one of my favorites, we have a peer-to-peer recognition program, which effectively allows employees to give points to recognize colleagues when they really live our values. And it's part of our gratitude practice, which we think is so important in mindfulness and meditation to allow people to, to share what they're grateful for in small and in big ways.
1: You packed a lot into that short answer, and I just want to make sure everyone got it. And I'll start at the end there. It's a gift to me because so I'm a big believer in having an attitude of gratitude, one of the only expensive pieces of art I own. It has the word gratitude right in the middle of it. I have a morning gratitude practice, but I never really thought about the recognition practice at work as a sort of a deeper spiritual almost gratitude practice, which it definitely is. I know from the cold-hearted lead X research that recognition is a top 10 driver of employee engagement, but I never really linked that to my own personal gratitude. So you just enlightened me there. Thank you for that one.
2: I think it's such an, a critical part that we've learned over the years. I'd say we didn't have that right out the gate, was gratitude in recognizing when we live our values. Mm. It's sort of part of the conversation and when you're sort of recognizing someone else is actually an opportunity to say, hey, I saw the specific behavior or action or decision and tying it then to an explicit value. So it becomes sort of ingrained into our operating system and people start to really unpack what these values mean. So it's been really valuable in a way to put some life into otherwise words on a sheet.
1: Okay. And I'm going to put an even finer point on it. This is great. (laughs) So... I've probably over the last 20 years, I don't know, I've done a hundred keynotes on the topic of employee engagement. And one of the top three practices is recognition. And the one slide in the hour, and I go through a lot of slides where everyone pulls out their phone and they snaps it. It's a slide that says three steps to strategic recognition. So step one is say thank you. You make sure they know they're being thanked. Step two Mention the behavior, so there's no misunderstanding about what the behavior is. Step three, link it back to a corporate value, something that you care about. So it's that reinforcement of what good looks like and how you did it. So brilliant. Love that. Love that. Hey, tell me more about these twice a month mind days. What do I do? Do I just take a long nap all day? Do I meditate for eight hours on the cushion? Or is it a little less intensive than
2: that? It's flexible. I think what we've realized is that every individual, and certainly different teams, have different ways of recharging. Mm-hmm. There's no replacement for creating space and making sure that that's also consistent across the organization, yeah. so that everyone might be off at the same time, if you will. Different people use it in different ways, everything from yeah. catching up on life or, or you know personal chores to spending time with, with family or friends or spending time out in nature, largely it means being off the laptop and outside in the real world in some way. But we found that it's just a a really important both boundary, then work then gets done in the four days prior, a space to then have an extended weekend in many ways when we have those mind days. And then it just becomes part of reinforcing that we live what we practice, what we believe in. And that is that, you know, taking care of your mind will ultimately create a, a better output and a happier workforce.
1: And I haven't forgotten, like the first ritual you mentioned is talking about sort of meditation, you know, starting the all hands with a mindfulness experience. And I just came back from a conference in Nashville last week where they opened it up with a one minute of box breathing. And five, 10 years ago, you'd never see these public meditation mindfulness experiences, right? And now they're pretty common. If you want, you know, join us at 6 a.m. for sunrise yoga and we're gonna kick off with some mindfulness. I think it's great myself. I'm into that stuff. And I noticed that maybe some others thought it was a little unusual or maybe let's just get to it, right? Kind of a traditional mindset. But I think even how we start our meetings, certainly are all hands, but this is a stealable idea. I'm always listening. You're the first I've admitted it to. All these interviews I'm doing, I'm just trying to mine ideas that your peers can steal, right? So this doesn't cost any money to start a meeting. And if your corporate culture isn't ready for actual meditation or mindfulness, Pause and say, hey, everyone, can we just take a minute to think about like what do we need to let go for the next 30 minutes to have an incredible meeting together? Like it doesn't have to always be meditation. Get people in that right state can just lead to so many better results. You agree?
2: I love that. And I think that adoption curve is such a critical part of this equation. So there are certain companies and teams where that might be easier to implement, and there are others where. They're not yet there, but just creating space and setting an intention is such a powerful practice. The other thing I would say is, it's also modeling that behavior from the top. That's both myself and other leaders of the team being really explicit about preserving that time, but also being explicit about reducing the stigma. And that might mean talking about when I'm working with a coach or when I might be seeking a therapist and things that are clearly might be more challenging in certain environments, but start to open the door to that conversation, that dialogue, because we know everybody's going through something, but most people aren't talking about it.
1: Let me shift over a little bit. One of my kind of hot button topics is leadership development. And it's because about 70% of how we feel about work engagement has to do with who our boss is. You join a company, you leave a bad boss, thousand person company, you might have 150, 200 people managers in the organization. And so they're on the front lines and the second lines, leader of leaders that are really shaping the culture. But you're also not a big company. So you probably don't have a lot of resources to invest in manager training and leadership development. So how are you handling that? What are you doing to support and develop these leaders?
2: Focus on less but better, for sure. And I think that's both in how we think about where we make investments, but also how we encourage our managers to operate it in a sustainable way because we know that the stress and burnout amongst that manager layers is rampant across the economy and certainly can be in a high growth organization and so we spend a lot of time thinking about how do we make sure that they're supported giving them the right resources so monthly leadership development trainings around creating accountable spaces one of the most important things we've rolled out over the last year which is becoming superhuman is this collaboration we did with a team of neuroscientists and faculty members from UC Berkeley where we really talked about like how do you create a workplace that is both remote first, but creates space for people to work smarter, not harder. And I think we all jumped in post or in COVID and just worked as hard as we could and realized we didn't have the dial at the right level. And so this is things like focusing on MIT's most mm-hmm. important tasks, doing calendar cleanses, scheduling blocks of time for deep work, things we know that are on the periphery, but haven't actually operationalized. Mm-hmm. And so we made it very explicit. We had everybody across the company run through this program. We've done subsequent trainings to ensure that we're actually following some of those best practices. And we tweaked it based on what was specific and explicit about our own culture that to make it work most effectively.
1: Becoming superhuman, not worried about setting
2: the bar a little high there, huh? Yeah. The only task worth doing is the impossible.
1: (laughs) I love that. Yeah. No, I hate make a big bold promise. You gotta get people to show up and set themselves to a higher standard. I absolutely love that. One sign of great culture is great business results. But along the way, it's nice to do some check-ins. So are you doing the traditional employee voice surveys? Do you have other types of things? Are you some people do those annually, sometimes they pulse them? How do you approach this kind of culture data, employee data.
2: It's something I'm so fascinated about and I've actually really enjoyed the questions you've asked a few of your other interviewees before. I think it's a combination. There's both the qualitative listening better in multiple forums from all hands to AMAs ask me anything, to then more quantitative pulse surveys. We typically do a quarterly survey to gather that feedback, change up some of the questions, although there's always a base set of questions we ask to drive some level of Consistency and then create forums for both direct as well as anonymous feedback should you need it to make sure that we both hear what's working or what's not, prioritize that list, and then roll out strategies to address that list and then rinse, wash, repeat. And so, a big part, I'd say maybe the last part of this is being able to share what we heard and making sure that that's giving people a chance to confirm or edit that list so we got it right. I think that's where I've seen this fall down before is maybe the feedback loop tends to be broken.
1: For everyone who's listening to a lot of episodes, I'm a broken record on this, I won't go deep, but what I most want people to take away is that you're actually doing quarterly, you're doing surveys quarterly. Many people feel, oh, everyone's over surveyed and things. When it comes to manager effectiveness, engagement, et cetera, quarterly is usually the right pace. If you have to report your financials quarterly, why aren't you measuring your culture, your people stuff quarterly? If someone gets disengaged, depending on the, how hot the economy is, you might have six weeks to 12 weeks before they've found another job somewhere else, right? So you can't wait one until 12 months go by to address an issue. So that's the big takeaway to
2: me. One of the, um, I have this working hypothesis. I'd love to get your thought on it because wearing my operational hat, I think a lot about capacity planning and mm. about kind of how much a team can take on. And I think yeah. that's directly related to your employee engagement scores as those dip. The load that that team can work on will dip as it right. increases. They have the ability to actually potentially do more. And so I think if you wait every six or 12 months, you clearly then can't plan effectively.
1: Yeah, that's right. And I love that you and hopefully others in the employee experience space recognize that. It's Often people think about it as a way to focus on attrition, like let's lower the turnover rate. That's true. Higher engagement will help with that. But for the people who are already engaged in staying, they're not necessarily going to leave. The more engaged they are, the more capacity they have. Hopefully, it's not always just because they're willing to work a 10-hour day instead of an 8-hour day. But I think about it often of there's just some days when I've had a good night's sleep and a strong cup of coffee. And I get all kinds of stuff done. And I'm creative and innovative and at my best. I am superhuman even until maybe noon. And there's other days of Phillies were playing late and uh, I'm drinking tea instead of coffee, whatever it is. I'm only getting it half done and my energy's a little less and I'm not bringing everyone else up. So it is directly driving capacity on a quarterly basis. So I love that that is a highlight. You mentioned so many cool things, including the mind days and the superhuman program, the, the peer-to-peer recognition. So you've covered a lot, but is there anything else that you're especially proud of or happy with the results that you'd want to share? Maybe something else someone can steal from you?
2: Yeah, copy liberally. We certainly have. The only piece that maybe we haven't spoken as directly about is really helping employees reconnect to the why. When they feel that why, when they're incredibly passionate about it, when they see it, it shows up as we share member wins or member stories in a company Slack channel or an all hands where they viscerally can touch or understand how maybe all of what they're doing is laddering up to ultimately serving or improving individuals, members, mental health. That is so powerful. Again, another one of those booster shots that yep. uh, help people get through the tough times, especially when you might be making a number of changes. And so that's just one thing that, as certainly a mission-driven and impact-oriented culture that we pride ourselves on. And it's been a really critical part of attracting great talent.
1: Fantastic! You know, as a listener, this is a pretty short format podcast, but I want to shift over to, with the minutes that we have, to some faster, fun questions. Here's the first one. Imagine you could wave your magic wand and everybody gets a book, a podcast, maybe a Netflix series to binge, I don't know, some piece of media, and they're guaranteed to consume it, take it to heart. Karan, where are you going to send everyone?
2: One of my favorite books, Essentialism, The Disciplined Pursuit of Less But Better.
1: This was where the less but better came in from earlier. So you are a minimalist at heart, and I like that. In your own growth journey with your chief people officer hat, What's something that you know now that maybe you wish you knew on day one, or if you could send a Slack message to the younger version of yourself, what would it say?
2: If there was one equation that was most focused on, it would be continuing to build trust, mm. psychological safety, and sort of clarity on our why, because of the how we'll flow in a largely virtual environment. That can be hard. Stuff can build up. The gunk can build up, and it starts to slow down the operating system, and Every so often, to really be, or I found that I want to be even more intentional and create more space to continue to focus and deliver and build trust.
1: Isn't that amazing? Like trust and safety. If you get that right, almost everything else is easy. You might still have a tough conversation, but it's not a conflict. You might need to argue your side of of how to solve a problem, but it's you don't need persuasion. If you have high trust, high psych safety, like almost everything else is easier. It's, It's just incredible. We're talking here, uh, this interview, it's late October. And so I'm sure you're already geared up for next year, a big uh, 2024. Again, with your CPO hat on, like what's your focus area? What are you going to lean
2: into on the people side? Number one is trust, continue (laughs) to build psychological safety and an environment of inclusion and belonging. Number two is reconnecting with the why and making sure that everyone really understands just the... Thousands and hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people who are getting better. And then the third, I'd say, is really a focus on on accountability and and ownership. Being encouraging courage in decisions and being accountable for results. I think that's a never-ending quest. And I think it's part of both head and heart, connecting with the why and delivering on the results. And the both don't have to be in conflict. So spending a lot of time and energy making sure that those are humming well.
1: So much wisdom there I keep behind me. I don't think they're in the shot right now. A scale, back and forth scales. And I think about former CEO of Campbell Soup, Doug Conant would say, you know, you need to be tough on standards, but tenderhearted on people. It's both results focused, but intentional and caring about the well-being. Not an easy balancing thing to do, but what a great focus for next year. I'm sure you've got a lot of exciting things going on at Headspace. Um, What are you most excited about though for the company right now? We do have
2: a whole lot coming. Maybe boil it down to two items. I think the first is really just continuing the momentum. I think we've been building and delivering this full stack care model all the way from the newly launched Headspace EAP product that we now have for employers and health plans with content and coaching and clinical services, all part of this core experience. And then the second is really bringing the promise of our merger. We merged two companies, Ginger and Headspace, back in 2021. And we've been on a journey to merge our member and customer experiences. And we are now at a point where we have a single brand and a single member app experience. And I think that largely means removing friction, keeping it simple, allowing you as an end user now to be able to get access to covered care and that we think that that's a really big part of reducing stigma and ultimately achieving our mission. We're gonna end
1: it right there. COO and Chief People Officer at Headspace, Karan Singh, thank you for first all the work your organization's doing, the impact you're having. Thanks for carving out some time to let us steal your secrets for building great culture. Thank you so much, Kevin.
0: Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of the Culture Code Podcast. Are you looking to build, refine, or revamp a training program? We team up with companies like Northwestern Mutual, Cineos Health, and Duck Creek Technologies to roll out highly engaging training series for emerging leaders, new managers, women in leadership, high potential managers, sales enablement, and more. Check it out at LeadX.org. What makes these series so uniquely engaging? We help you build a full system of development that leverages our cutting-edge platform and world-class training. We blend together world-class cohort-based virtual training and group coaching, personalized nudges, micro-learning, and on-demand office-hour style coaching. Go check it out at leadax.org. <laughs>